I hope it won't surprise our listeners to learn that this podcast is being recorded according to the rules of social distancing, which is to say I'm in my spare bedroom slash makeshift studio and my guest is in his own 40 miles away. So apologies in advance for the less than ideal audio conditions, but that's Skype for you. This is Facts Matter, the Citizens Research Council of Michigan podcast. I'm Nancy Derringer, Communications Director for the Research Council, and in this podcast, we look at Michigan through a policy lens. Our discussions here are informed by our 104 years of experience doing nonpartisan, fact-based research on policy issues. We hope this podcast will serve as another way for the public to access our work, which is, as always, free and available to all at our website, crcmich.org. My guest today is Tim Mischling, our health policy expert, and I'll give you three guesses what we'll be talking about today. Welcome, Tim. Hello. Yeah. So, coronavirus and COVID-19, the disease that it causes, is now a pandemic, and what a weird time to live through. I'm not a doctor, you're not a doctor, but the Research Council has looked at public health issues and policy in the past, and this is certainly a time to refresh people about them. So let's start with the overall importance of public health policies and procedures. We published research in 2018 saying Michigan was underinvesting in public health. What are the ramifications for that at a time like this, Tim? Well, I think we can see those ramifications because not only was Michigan underinvesting in public health, but the U.S. as a whole was also really disinvesting in public health uh, during the period that we studied And so that not only means that we're less able to deal with day-to-day public health issues in terms of food safety, uh, environmental safety and quality, and, you know, disease control and prevention, but then when you have a pandemic, it's all hands on deck to address the pandemic, but the response is necessarily slow because our public health workforce has limited resources that have been allocated to them, and there's limited personnel, and... So there's only so much they can do. Uh, And so I think what we've seen in the United States um, was a pretty slow initial response to to the emerging pandemic. Yeah, I think that was pretty obvious. One idea that is suddenly getting a lot of attention is that of paid sick leave. Now, not everyone can work at home like we can. And in a pandemic, when we're asking people to self-quarantine, paid sick leave is something that can mean the difference between making the mortgage payment and not. Let's talk a little bit about that history in Michigan. You just wrote about this recently. I did, and I would encourage folks to to go to our website and look at the research insights to read that blog. Um, mm-hmm. It's a it's a good read. If I do say so myself, I oh, hope sure. it goes viral. Okay. Uh, you can <laughs> use that phraseology these days. Um, sorry. <laughs> so it paid paid medical leave uh, is not something that someone would think, you know, top of mind as a public health policy. Um, we, we tend to view policies like that as, you know, somewhere between social welfare and an employment benefit that is between employers and their workers. But the U.S. is conspicuous in that it's one of the only major nations that doesn't have 
comprehensive, available paid sick leave to all of its workers. And it's been like that for decades, really. And the implication of that is not only do people not get paid when, say, they are you know, healthy and told to stay home in a situation like this, which is admittedly extremely rare, but when they aren't healthy and when they're not feeling great, but they're still you know, able to get up and get around, without paid sick leave, they're more likely to come to work. Yep, and that's that's something that is sometimes referred to as presenteeism, where people are showing up, but they're below functional capacity. And so pandemic aside, just as a general public health issue, when you see people showing up to work sick, there are more injuries and mistakes that happen, particularly in industrial operations. There's more of a chance of spreading other diseases, whether that's the seasonal flu, whether that's hepatitis A that we were obviously have been dealing with in Southeast Michigan. Um, and what we also see with employees when they don't have access to paid sick leave is that they're less likely to take time away from work to do preventative health measures or health improvements. So you see fewer cancer screenings, for instance, in in folks that don't have paid sick leave, which down the line leads to lots of medical costs and human costs when you fail to, to screen for and, and prevent those illnesses. Right. When they can't, yeah, when they can't, uh, when they can't take off, you know, an afternoon to have a mammogram, they're less likely to have a mammogram at all, rather than, you know, take an unpaid day. So Ex- exactly. Right. So what we've seen in the United States is that we started to address some of this issue um, way back in the 90s. Uh, the noteworthy legislation, obviously, is the Family and Medical Leave Act of 1993 uh, at the federal level, um, which, as most federal bills, it ends up being a compromise. And that allows people to take unpaid leave. Uh, but most people like pay. And so, as you noted, people still show up to work sick. They're not invoking FMLA to to get time away from work because their kid has a cold or because they have the flu. Um, so fast forward, and we've seen many states and localities taking the matter into their own hands and looking at either local ordinances or state laws to create paid sick leave. And so there are, um, I believe, 10 other states right now that, that have done that, uh, the first of which being um, New Hampshire. And We've seen other large cities uh, like, you know, your Seattle, Dallas, uh, New York City, those those municipal entities enacting paid sick leave. Hmm. In Michigan, we had, uh, of course, Public Act 105 of 2015, which prevented uh, local governments from doing that same thing and creating paid sick time ordinances. So this is a a battle that I think has has brewed a while. And on the one side, you have federal and state uh, bills that have been proposed to create some sort of paid sick leave system. Uh, And on the other side, you've seen uh, laws passed to prohibit those things from from happening. Right. Um, You know, under the general philosophy that we don't want to tell businesses how to how to run themselves. So, um, yeah, it's um, I mean, it's a it's it's a prickly topic. And, you know, it would make it a lot easier if there were a bright line between um, illness and health and, you know, but sometimes there isn't. And, you know, there's always that thought that if you wake up feeling, eh, you know, not a hundred percent, um, 
but you don't want to take a day because you only have so many of them and you want to save them for when you're really sick, when you absolutely know you're sick. I think people, like you said, you have this thing called presenteeism where they just, they show up even though they're not, uh, not a hundred percent and they may even be contagious, but anyway. So, you know, but paid sick leave is only useful for, for people who work for somebody else. Now you freelance a little, you're a musician. I freelance a little as a writer and freelancers generally work for themselves. In fact, millions of Americans are only paid when they are at work. And if your restaurant or retail store is closed, you're out of luck. Um, are there any policy solutions that are now in place for people like that? Now in place? Uh, short answer, no. No, <laughs> not, I didn't think not, so. Not yeah. Really. yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it, and that's, you know, as you alluded to, we had a ballot question in Michigan to, um, to do something about paid sick leave and the legislature um, adopted that. Uh, but then after enactment, the law was amended and scaled back uh, some of the sick time requirements that the ballot question um, and then the enacted law had created. And right. so um, it, it's important to note that Michigan does have paid sick time law, but I I think it's fair to question whether or not it's adequate. And certainly for the freelancers and other folks that are being affected by the pandemic, it, it doesn't really do anything for them. It doesn't do anything at all. No, that's right. This story has changed so fast. It has come on so quickly. Um, and the data is still pretty shifty at this point. I'm talking now specifically about the coronavirus and COVID-19. Um, we've heard a lot about the uh, fatality rate um, and how this isn't a terribly serious illness for most people to get, which might make some of them a little la-di-da about following advice to stay inside, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, you know, based on the photos that I saw in the last couple of days of people um, partying for St. Patrick's Day, not just in Detroit and uh, Michigan, but around the country, um, you know, that's a certainty at this point that people are, some people are simply going to ignore the request to self-quarantine. Um, let's talk about what we do know and what we don't know as of today, March 16th, about this particular novel coronavirus and 20 and uh, COVID-19. So you got a few seconds to talk about that? Certainly, okay. I will do my best. Okay. Um, I th I think what you're what you're saying is 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 absolutely the case, and it, it's important to recognize that early. This is a novel virus. It's still early in its proliferation, and so and by novel we mean that we've never seen it before. This particular coronavirus. There are a lot yes. of coronaviruses, but this one is uh, brand new. So we don't know how it's going to affect um, humans down the, you know, in the, over the long term. Right, and so we have these these estimates that we make. For instance, um, the case fatality estimate, which is just looking at the number of cases you have and creating a ratio between that and how many people die. And that's when you hear this, you know, 1% fatalities or 3.5% fatalities. The thing is that it looks different in different populations. If you look at the case fatality rate in Italy versus Wuhan in China versus the entirety of China, um, you're going to see different things. And as this moves forward and develops, we get more reliable estimates. Um, and so it's difficult to to have early on numbers with with that are that are totally certain. Right. Some amount of estimation. And as I recall, I think one of the 
first uh, pieces that I listened, or I listened to a podcast about this with a reporter for the New York Times um, at least more than a week ago. And he was talking about this very issue. And he said that of the most of the fatalities to this are from people who are older, um, over 50. And that stands to reason. Obviously, your immunity and your systems begin to decline. But he said um, in the Wuhan population, uh, most of those people who died were men. But in China, they have an incredibly high uh, percentage of people who smoke. And I think they said um, among men, Chinese men, something between 50 and 80% of them are smokers. Now, by the time you're over 50 and, a, and have been smoking for years, your lungs are significantly weakened and you're probably more susceptible to this. Yeah, right. And, and we do see gender differences in tobacco use, not only in China, but in the U.S. And so when right. you look at our population here in Michigan, we have a population that's older you know, than average. We have a population that has higher than average rates of smoking. Looking at the rest of the U.S., we have uh, widespread poor nutrition, poor physical health. Uh, we have high rates of diabetes. Uh, we also have pretty high rates of asthma. I, I looked at the, uh, which is another risk factor uh, for serious complications from the COVID-19 disease. Uh, Michigan is bottom 10 when you look at the number of, of people with asthma in the state. Um, part wow. of that is from exposure to air pollution. Part of that has to do with other household exposures. And that gets back to where we started, that it's important to have public health in play all the time to remove those harmful exposures and work upstream with screening and surveillance and health promotion and health education to have a healthier population. But we don't have that in Michigan. Right. And so that, that puts a, us at a higher risk. Um, and it's hard to predict exactly what that's going to look like. Um, and then you have to realize that there's part of the mortality or the case fatality rate deals with how amenable to healthcare the condition is. And so with this novel coronavirus, there aren't available treatments and there's not a lot of immunity in the population. And so while people may look at the case fatality rate and even at a higher estimate say, well, that's not many people and it's only affecting older people. Um, if you look at the rate of people that are hospitalized from the disease, uh, that I've seen estimates from 10 to 20% requiring hospitalization uh, and people needing ventilators. That's also you know, going to depend on the specific population and the specific period of time. But saying that 80% of the diseases are mild, that those mild diseases include walking pneumonia and other people that are taking weeks to recover at home and are, are very ill, but didn't need to go to the emergency room or didn't need to go to an intensive care unit. So. Right. I mean, um, you know, what we say is relatively mild. Yes, you survive, but you may have lasting lung damage. You may have um, you may have pneumonia along the way. And, you know, no matter anybody who's had pneumonia will tell you that it is, it, they don't consider that a mild illness. And so, you know, there's, there's all kinds of nuance to this. And it's very important that we keep in mind that we're still learning about it and figuring out it, figuring it out on a day by day basis. And, um, you know, which is why it, it's, it's important that people kind of take it seriously. Absolutely. We had, it, it kind of goes back to our previous discussion that you and I have had uh, on this podcast about vaccine hesitancy and, and measles. And 
or even influenza that people look at these diseases and they look at how many people have died and f fixate strictly on the, the mortality without looking at the, the morbidity. So how many people are getting really sick right. um, as well as the, the transmission. And so what we're seeing with this particular virus is that it's transmitting pretty heavily. Uh, and so when you're seeing a lot of people posting hashtag flatten the curve, they're, they're trying to slow down that transmission because unfortunately for us in Michigan, we were behind the times and in, in getting up to speed on testing people. And so really our only recourse to slow things down at this point is to uh, self-isolate. Um, right. And so yeah, all my and symphony concerts are canceled. All the St. Patrick's Day uh, bar gatherings are, are canceled. But The ones that haven't at. already taken place. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, ultimately, public health is kind of like a seatbelt. Um, you know, it's a simple behavior that you, it's a habit that you get into when you're young. And, you know, you hope that you never have to use it. But when you do need it, you really need it. And so, you know, it's, um, it, it's, it's kind of like spend a, you know, spend a dollar on public health today and save, you know, potentially a thousand dollars on um, treating the, you know, the accident victim later. Um, I keep thinking, I guess the next uh, podcast has to be with the, um, uh, for, you know, for, from somebody else from the research council staff to talk about, you know, what this means for the state of Michigan. Um, because, you know, if people aren't working, they aren't paying taxes. And if they're not paying taxes, the, you know, engine for things like road repair and water infrastructure and various other things uh, will begin to cough and sputter. And, and um, I have a feeling we're going to be feeling the ramifications of this for quite some time. So I, I think that's accurate. And, we, you know, the Research Council's written about the state's rainy day fund and the, the need to save for when things are not so robust in the economy. And so... Right. Uh, just like the public health funding, we're, we're seeing these things in action now. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, Tim, thanks so much. Thank you. And on that grim note, that will do it for this edition of Facts Matter, the Citizens Research Council of Michigan podcast. Remember, the council operates as a public resource, and all of our papers, along with blogs, op-eds, and other resources, are available for download on our website, crcmich.org. We operate as a nonprofit thanks to the generosity of Michigan's corporations, foundations, and people like you. If you'd like to make a donation, go to our website, crcmich.org, and click the Get Involved tab on the homepage. We also welcome feedback, which you can send via email to crcmich at crcmich.org. I'm Nancy Derringer, and until next time, I leave you with this observation by our founding president, Lent Upson. The right to criticize government is also an obligation to know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm.